Hello and welcome to the Limitless Podcast with me, Joshua Patterson. I'm passionate about sharing the stories of courage and resilience. Each week, I will be interviewing extraordinary people from all different walks of life who saw past their statistics, who turned personal moments of adversity into strength. My hope is that this podcast can inspire you to step outside of your limits and achieve things you thought never possible. Welcome to Limitless. This podcast is sponsored by Wellman Vitamins. When life shows no signs of slowing down, Wellman's advanced supplements give you optimized support to keep you feeling your best. Designed exclusively by Vitabiotics for the lifestyle needs of men at every stage of life. Wellman is the UK's number one multivitamin for men offering comprehensive formulas with vitamins B6 and B12 to support normal energy release. So to support you in pushing past your limits, Wellman is here to help you feel energized and live life well. To find out more, visit www.vitabiotics.com slash pages slash Wellman. Thank you to all of the team at Wellman. Today I'm excited to be joined by one of the craziest Welshmen I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. From humble beginnings in North Wales, working in a fish and chip shop, to becoming an explorer and three-time world record holder. His recent world record taking him a staggering 352 days to complete the entire 4,000-mile stretch of the Yangtze River in China solo. I give you the smiliest, the relentless, the lunatic, that is Ash Dykes. Hello, mate. Hey, dude. How are you doing? Very well. Good to be here. How do you feel? Because you're only just back in England now, aren't you? Yeah. You did, yeah. Did Straight little, back here. Little media tour. Done a media tour. Have been back out to Asia. Done an Asia tour as well. Uh, I think I've been finished now from the previous expedition, about five months. Yeah, I've been to China four times since I finished. Wow. So I'm still very busy out in China. That's crazy. But it's great, a good healthy mix, you know, between China, here, the LA trip as well, of course. Yeah, yeah, Back yeah. Back to the cold conditions and winter Wales. Yeah. It's all good. What I love about your story, though, you're a man who has set three new world records. It's never been done before. And what is so unique about you is that when you hear of individuals like yourself who do these incredible adventures and they set themselves these these challenges to those that don't know you like ash is not a military man you know he's not been in the army no special forces you have zero qualifications really other than life experience in this field whatsoever and like i said in the intro like ash is essentially a very like humble welshman north wales who started off in a fish and chip shop and now has (laughs) literally forged a career as as a, a recognized explorer. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's an important message to spread because with these stories a lot of people do assume that, you know, even military base and there's nothing wrong with that of course, but they just they just assume that. And so instantly they try to put themselves down so they see something epic being achieved and all of a sudden they're like, "Well, that's okay for you. You're an expert in that or you have training in that." 
and to actually then turn around and say, well, no, you know, lots of failed attempts. I've just learned from the locals. I've learned through experience, uh, correcting my wrongs, making mistakes, but learning from the mistakes. And if I can do that, then so can you. And then all of a sudden the person stood there like, whoa, hang on, you know, maybe he's right. And that's the message I like to share. Not the look at me and look what I can achieve. It's sort of if I can do this, you can do it too. But like, how, how does it even, I mean, a lot of people probably ask the question, like, how does a guy go from Wales to, to Mongolia, to yeah. China? Like, have you got yourself to that point? Like, you know, where, where did this kind of all begin? You started off in the fish and chip shop and we were talking about this. Then you started, uh, you became a lifeguard. Yeah. Earning a little bit of money. That's it. Yeah. And then you basically decided at 19, like, this is kind of where I feel like things started to progress. You went traveling. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was amazing. I loved it, but I was very much on the beaten track. It wasn't wild or adventurous like I thought it was going to be. I was with other tourists, which is good. You know, it means that you meet people from all over the world. But I was very much looking for my own unique stories, experiences and and photos as well. So that's when we pretty much decided um, how about we purchased the cheapest bicycles we could find which turned out to be the most ridiculous bikes you would have seen man no pump no no puncture repair kit they cost 10 10 pounds 10 dollars we found string on the side of the road so we used that to strap our rucksack onto the bike we had a little bell a little basket on the front where we carried our bread and peanut butter and we left you know no map i think we just go, went on google used an internet cafe went on google wrote down the little towns and villages that we would come across whilst we're trying to cycle the 1,100 plus miles from Cambodia to Vietnam and the length of Vietnam. And then we would just show the locals, I we're looking to, to get to this community. And they were just pointers in the direction that we needed to go. And that's how it started. That was the true catalyst. We crossed over to Thailand without the bikes and we were just so hooked on adventure it was kind of like that was the point i realized my passion for for adventure i guess did you feel free yeah yeah and back then i didn't have any i didn't have a phone i didn't have a laptop we we weren't sharing the journey again we were just doing it because we we wanted an adventure off the beaten track we wanted to see the locals for how they live see vietnam for what vietnam really is uh, and cambodia uh, away from you know the touristic sites and we definitely got that. We had locals sometimes coming up to us, pulling our leg hairs because we were just, you know, they had seen in Vietnam, of course, they'd seen plenty of Westerners, but they were actually able to get really close because we were eating in their cafe, you know, noodles. I think it cost about 10p for an extra five or 10p. You get to throw in an egg. So sometimes we would treat ourselves and include an egg in, <laughs> in those noodles wow, and you, they'd be pulling our legs, leg hairs. You, like, you, you know, hell? when you're on a budget, when, when 15p is your you, limit when you, Yeah, when you're debating. On a meal. Yeah, wow. so we would stay in hammock shops as well. The hammock shots were 20, 20 pence. Wow. It's kind of like a shelter. You've got 20, 30 hammocks just hanging up and you'd pay them 20 pence and they would let you stay for the night. But do you know what? It feels like, you know, when you look at like the greater things that you ended up achieving later on, it takes these stages for you to go through to, I think, almost build you up to become the person that's capable of doing those bigger yeah, things. I agree. There are just so many hurdles that we put in front of ourselves and really they're not actually hurdles at all. Mm. You know, things like equipment. Sometimes you can just try and make everything perfect and actually sometimes just run that's it just hundred uh, just cycle yeah. just climb like yeah. just don't worry about it just just believe in yourself yeah so you cycle Cambodia and the length of Vietnam 1130 miles as you mentioned on a that's 10 it, pound yeah. bike yeah. or 10 dollars which makes it even less so God yeah. knows what the quality <laughs> of that it. was like you trek the Himalayas 
in North India bordered with Pakistan. Yeah, that was another sensitive one. 700 miles, as you mentioned, bike riding Oz over the Great Ocean Road. You also broke down when you were in Australia in the outback and managed to essentially rescue yourself from pretty severe danger. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would be quite as calm and collected. I think I probably would still be there somewhere getting gnawed on by whatever, (laughs) a vulture. Yeah. (laughs) You learned to survive in the jungle, as you mentioned, with the Burmese Hill Tribe, which I just think is so class. You cycled the length of Britain, 985 miles. I'm guessing that's John O'Groats to Land's End? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Yeah. John O'Groats to Land's End. You trekked across Wales 200 miles in the winter, as you do, (laughs) and then you trekked alone through the Alps. Now... As I said, most people probably would build up to a point in their life to tackle one of those, whereas it feels like that was almost like the warm-up for the bigger things. Yeah. Now, what cracked me up when we were kind of having like our conversation before coming on the podcast today is that I was speaking to Ash, and basically when he was in Thailand, you basically came up with the idea of buying, again, another £10 bike, just loves that number, and cycling to Mongolia... Yeah, <laughs> and then walking on his own, unsupervised or supported, yeah. across Mongolia. But then when he kind of put the numbers together, essentially the the, the level of death or the rate of death was pretty much guaranteed. Yeah. So he decided that that wasn't the best idea. But instead of giving up on that dream, you actually made it happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Minus the cycling. Yeah, what well, you know with the Mongolia. I was living in Thailand, so after Australia, I was actually based in Thailand for, for two years. So I was a master scuba diving instructor, uh, but also a Muay Thai fighter. Uh, and if you win a fight, you, you know you pretty much get paid enough to cover two or three months worth of accommodation. So that was always good because you don't earn much money as a scuba diver in Thailand. And as great as this lifestyle was, you know, it was fighting, it was training, it was extreme sports, it was the lifestyle, living on the beach. I was restless, you know. I began to miss all of the previous adventures. You know, as humans, I think we all get quite restless and we're always striving to develop ourselves and climb our ladder of whatever industry that we're in. And I thought, wouldn't it be great, as you said, to walk across Mongolia? Didn't really know what that entailed. I was like, get a bicycle again, cycle up to Mongolia, attempt to walk it solo and unsupported. It was only when I was trying to search endlessly for people who had done it before so that I could ask for their tips and advice. And then I started to bring various different teams and logistics managers in from various countries. And when they did their research, we couldn't find any evidence to suggest that anyone had actually completed a solo and unsupported walk across Mongolia. Of course, the nomads and these people have crossed Mongolia many times and much further, uh, but they always do it like with camels, with yaks or with their family. And so we did find someone who had attempted but was evacuated on three different occasions. And he was special forces, wasn't he? He was special forces, yeah. So this is actually what put me off and then I, I stopped planning Mongolia I realized he was a desert explorer he was uh, a navy soldier and I was just a 22 year old living on a beach you know far from any desert right on the coast actually and I I just held a lot of fear I held a lot of doubt as well which I don't like you know fear is healthy doubt I think can be toxic basically the three new world records that you've set Madagascar Mongolia and China yeah the first major one was Mongolia yeah that's it What interests me, though, about yourself is you keep talking about fear and doubt. I'm not surprised, to be honest with you. What is it, in the end, that gave you that belief that thought, I could do this? Awesome question, actually. And 
I would say it was when it was when I decided that just because no one's found a way to do something, it doesn't mean it can't be done. A lot easier said than done. But I actually then came back to the UK to put all of the training, all of the planning. I thought with the right preparation, with the right logistics, with the right team as well. It's all about the team, no people who have the local knowledge. Maybe I can do it. But it was then other people via social media as well, uh, and e- even distant family saying that it's not possible. Also, the guy from the special forces, though, he was a big support to you, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a great guy. Yeah, he um, he pretty much gave me a list of the dangers to watch out for, and he left a little message saying, "Incredible is the ability to to, to continue no matter what." And that scared me. I didn't know what he meant by that, but I tried to use that to fuel me as well. Respect to him, though. And then even when I completed it, he w- he congratulated me, saying I was the angel sat on your shoulder. And since that, what there's was been the a guy. He said though. He said, "Incredible is the ability to continue no matter what." Yeah, which I never knew what that meant until it came to the point where I almost died, and then I was, you know, I was hallucinating, I was delirious, um, and that little quote seeped into my mind. And I, but I'm a big believer, you know, no one's incredible. Um, but I, I said to myself, if incredible was a thing, you know, what, what would it do in this position? I, I almost personified incredible. So I could, I, I looked to have a role model there with me in the Gobi Desert. It was 40 plus degrees Celsius. I was pulling the trailer behind me, which was 120 kilograms, carrying everything that I needed to survive. The whole journey was three weeks over the Altai Mountains, five weeks across the Gobi Desert, another three weeks through the Mongolian steppe. And no one was with me. You know, I was solo. I was unsupported, as I mentioned. But in the Gobi Desert, a water well was dry. I was, I, I was sort of rationing my last remaining dribbles of water, trying to desperately get to the next water source, which at this point where I was at my worst was still four days away. So I was hiding under my trailer from the, from the sun. It felt like pulling a concrete block through hell at this point. And I was hallucinating. I was delirious. And so when I came to personify Incredible, it was almost beating me out from under the trailer and I would try to chase it. It would walk ahead. What I found it, as I broke my goals down, I was now four days away from the next water source. I couldn't visualise four days. I'm a big believer in visualisation and the law of attraction, but I couldn't visualise that. I was in too much agony, but I could visualise 100 metres. And so effectively, I was watching this, this figure. You know, at this point, I was delirious, as I mentioned. I almost could see this figure getting out from the trailer before me, walking 100 metres quicker than me, and I was almost trying to keep up. I was trying to chase. I would try to stop when it stopped. I tried to get up and carry on when it would carry on. And I could almost feel my insides drying up, you know, my organs. But effectively, by breaking my goals down, and possibly from the help of that quote, incredible is the ability to continue no matter what. And if I can try to follow in the footsteps of whatever this thing is, maybe I'll be all right. Uh, And I did just about make it, you know, it took me eight days to recover. I was in a bad state. I was too scared to push on as well. I needed to buck up my mental, physical courage again to push on, but pushed on regardless. You know, I made it past the most difficult part of that expedition. I think what kind of intrigues me about you is kind of your choices of challenge. You know, with a guy with no prior experience, like the terrain of the three locations that you picked... Some of them are savage. Yeah. Like you've kind of thrown yourself right in at the deep end. Pretty much. Like you haven't really, like, yes, you've done, you know, like, Britain, don't get me wrong, is hard. There are some tough, tough challenges. But, yeah. like, you know, when you're in the middle of a jungle, man. That's it. You know, the A1's not quite as scary, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and it's the second, is it the second or third most sparsely populated country in the world? Mongolia. So I went eight days without seeing a single human, which was crazy. 
you're just there, you yourself, nothing else. I mean, that was so that was your major first one, and then was that when you then moved on to Madagascar? Yeah, so that was the big one. I believe fear comes as a package deal with doubt. Big believer of that is you've got fear, but with fear comes doubt. If you can train and prepare and face these various different experiences like you have, all of a sudden you're eradicating doubt. I think the fear you're supposed to have, that keeps you alive, you know, because a lot of people see what I do now and say, oh, you must be fearless. No, I hold just as much fear as you, but over time I've managed to get rid of the doubt, which is toxic, because I know my preparation, I believe in myself, and, you know, that's what you want to try to share with others, isn't it, is when they're scared or they believe something isn't possible, it's only because they've got that doubt attached to, to fear. But if you take them with you, if you show them how to prepare, if you break down the goals right in front of them, all of a sudden they feel more confident. They've got rid of that doubt and they believe that they can now go after it too. I also think with fear though, it's, it gives you time to think. Yeah. You're not going to be as reckless whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. You know, I remember there was a climber talking about a challenge that he did and they said, surely, you know, it was, it was similar to free solo. Like, surely this is crazy that you're doing this with that harness. And he said, you think that. It isn't the respect that I don't have that harness on me, but at the same time, I'm not taking the risks or the leaps that other climbers would because obviously they have that safety net, essentially. Mm, got you. You know, if I, miss, yeah. if I miss that jump, I just fall back into my harness. I can't afford that. So my decision-making is so much more precise. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you, you, you find that in any challenge that you take, you know, yeah. but, you know, I think if, if you can harness that fear and you can channel it, fuck, like that is, that's an asset to you Something big special time. about that, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I think that's one of the elements as well. I think why people take on these challenges, you want to feel these emotions. Yeah. You know, to go into any challenge and not be afraid, to me just doesn't make sense. But no. I'm sure there are individuals out there that, probably don't feel yeah. it fear is uh, is healthy and the best in their game do hold fear as well how did you find madagascar because you were saying like this in comparison to mongolia was pretty trippy like it's it's a dodgy place in parts right not just the army but the kind of the rebels and yeah things as well so a lot of people see mongolia as the biggest not now after mission yangtze but it probably maybe even still you know mission yangtze four thousand miles but mongolia was very very dangerous in terms of it quite easy to die out there in the Gobi Desert all you need is lack of water and, you, and you're done but Madagascar was just challenge after challenge every day you know even getting to the southern point I was warned by the locals there were shootings I was held up at gunpoint by the military who was drunk his sort of um, strap was slipping off uh, and he would be catching the gun by the trigger with the barrel pointing at me and my guide. You know, the bandits we had to avoid and we tried to go into the jungle to stay hidden. But then we realised the bandits are in the jungle hiding from the military. So we had to then escape the jungle, you know. And there was a lot of challenges. I then caught malaria, almost died. Only a month into the five-month journey, I lost 13 kilograms whilst I was on the medication to get, it, get rid of it out of my system. Fortunately, I did clear it 100% out of my system. Had to then train up just in my hotel room to build up that mental prep, go out again. I was bitten by spiders. There was leeches falling from the jungle canopy. A lot of it was um, machete in hand, sort of hacking through the through the bush. So that one was a 1,600-mile journey. It took 155 days to complete, and we were attempting to be the first to walk from the most southern point to the most northern point via the interior of the island. It's got like a mountain range that almost goes the entire length of the island, while summiting the eight highest mountains along the way. And that was difficult. Mountains alone are difficult. 
and then jungle separately are difficult. When you merge those together and you've got mountainous jungles, so you're trying to climb whilst hack at the same time, so difficult. And, you know, we faced a lot of tough times. We were hunting, we were gathering. One of the funny stories of Madagascar was in order to summit the highest mountain on the island, the locals say you must carry yourself a living white cockerel. It protects you from the bad spirits. It protects you from the witches. And I always respect the, the cultures, the customs, the traditions, wherever I am. And so I did. I took a chicken called Gertrude um, in my backpack. <laughs> we had to take it, feed it with water, uh, feed it, give it water, look after it. It became fully domesticated, almost like a little dog. I would let it out completely. It would sleep on top of my tent at night. Didn't need to tie it up. It would walk behind me, waddle away. And then we have to set it free on top of the mountain. We can't take it back down, unfortunately, because we'd be introducing the locals, say the bad spirits, you know, and witches of the forest back to um, so their just, community. Are there just a load of them at the top of this mountain? You would think so, yeah. But actually, it's not very much climbed. Madagascar is one of those places that features in a lot of people's minds, but very few people actually go there. And when they do... Because it's quite a sensitive place, they stay either on the beaten track or go to the coast where it's beautiful. You know, you can whale watch, you can scuba dive, you've got beach resorts. But on the interior, it's a complete different story. So I thought I need to go somewhere next where I'm coming across more locals because that for me is what it's more about. And Madagascar I knew would provide. Uh, and I was I was coming across locals daily. And of, of course, there's some of the scary stories that I told you about. Yeah. But the positive always outweigh the negatives and the positives come in in their heaps. I pointed out with the Lima Network Conservation that have 60 organisations on the ground helping to protect and preserve all of the unique biodiversity. So I wanted to use the hype off the back of my expedition and actually shine the light on what they're doing. They're the, the real unsung heroes. You know, there's me going on a challenge, on an adventure. Um, but actually what they do for me is more is way more heroic and it was just amazing to learn that they do volunteer, often putting their lives at risk to expand national parks, to fight the poachers, you know. So I really wanted to capture what they're doing. And I've seen the damaging aspect as well of, of the environmental crisis that's going on, that if I can be a part and really help to promote and really help to, to make my part, even if it's just a small percent and doing good, then I will make sure that that's always at the forefront of every adventure that I, that I do. The challenge itself sometimes isn't necessarily the physical aspect but the mental and like to, yeah. to do something for that period of time where you literally can't switch off for one minute because it's the no. difference between life and death yeah so how do you keep yourself in like a flow state but like a calm one at that to get to the source of the yangtze is just really difficult we had to get I think it was 12 different organisations and conservations and national parks and even the government on board with the right stamps, with the right um, signatures to get to the source. It took, it took two years to plan. It took two years to plan. And by the time we got there, we were two months delayed and we were going very deeply into the depths of winter, which drops to about minus 30, minus 40. Uh, and the bears and wolves are then looking for food, especially the bears, before they go into hibernation. So it was the wrong time. And some cuddles. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of my team were saying, abandon the expedition, let's try again next year. But too much time, too much energy. Before we got to the start point, so before we got to day number one, Josh, we lost four members of the team due to altitude sickness, injury, fear of wildlife. And it was at the point where we were taken in by the authorities 
to the Tibetan government officers. We were questioned, but luckily with the right backing we had, they let us go again. But when they let us go, they took us 40 miles back on ourselves. We had to walk those 40 miles again. And it was at that point I had a satellite phone by Navarino so I could stay connected to, uh, to anyone. And I was speaking to my dad on the phone. He very, works very closely with me. And that was the first time I, I, I've literally said to him, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, I'm, at this point I was on day number four. So I've still got 350 plus days to go. And at this point, I was just, we're, we're weeks from getting to the next community. The bears are hot on our tail. They were just wanting those cuddles. We, yeah, yeah, they wanted those they cuddles. Like, we were sent. It's, it's hibernation time, yeah. Sam. I got a <laughs> cave over there. With me. You're coming in with me. <laughs> that's it. You are little spoon. And we were, we were pretty much walking calories for them as well, you know. And the stories that I heard, I sort of went out there with a healthy mind, but... The locals were stating otherwise. And if the locals are panicked or worried, you should definitely be panicking and worrying, you know. So there was very difficult challenges in Mission Yangtze. That did almost break me. Four months in, we had lost 10 members of the 16 that joined. Uh, film crew, guides at different parts. It was just too much. That was the, So the first six months was just pure survival and challenge and high altitude being over 5,100 metres. Um, the Yangtze runs through these sort of steep gorges so you've got cliff faces you've got landslides do you feel like it's just having those transitions where even when you're at your most savage you know it's like peaks and troughs you know there's going to be a good day or a, or a good week ahead mm. and unfortunately do you find too many people quit before they hit that point they just can't see that far ahead yeah yeah possibly yeah I do believe that I think that um, they can become, become quite overwhelmed They'll walk like the first hour, then they'll think, oh my God, I'm already in agony and I've got four days of this. So sometimes it's easy to just call it, get, you know, walk off towards the road, hitchhike, stick your thumb up, you know, and, and leave. Whereas some will push themselves and then they'll find themselves slowly breaking into it. I always say, I, I call it breaking into your wild side, right? I say on each of my expeditions, it takes me at least a week and a half or two weeks to start feeling comfortable with the uncomfortable. Like, I mean start getting used to the fact that there are bears out there and you're going to have sleepless nights to start getting used to the blisters to sleeping wet and uncomfortable to go on days of being really hungry to maybe go and really dehydrated the niggles you know to feeling dirty to sleeping in your own sweat you know all of that is just horrible for the first week and a half or two if you can withstand that and last the distance and break into your third week I call it the wild side. You're now used to it. Nothing's stopping you. You can You're only feral, see the end. Right? Yeah, you, you become, you know, humans are amazing. They can adapt so fast. So give yourself time. No matter what it is, give yourself time. You will adapt. You will get used to it. And there's always people out there who are also capable, also willing to help. And that's something I've got to experience along the way is I'll, I'll doubt myself, but then I'll do it. And then I'll be like, wow, I shouldn't have doubted myself so much. Or I'll have fear of other people out in the wilderness but then when they welcome me just giving off a smile and they'll welcome me you know it's it's enhanced my my love for and my faith in humanity as well so just do it and do it with enthusiasm is what i'd say do you think with what you do the potential of death is what excites you i would say the potential of danger is exciting the potential of death is what i try best to eradicate i mean how many times have you faced death so far too many too, too many too many for the so age that i am the reality yeah. is as well you know with what you you do you yeah. are going to be faced with it so surely in the back of your mind like subconsciously there must be that element where you're like you must get off on it a little bit 
because it just yeah i think if they, if it wasn't so dangerous it it would have been done and that's what that's the point that excites me but then in order to do it i am extent so with the malaria i was actually taking anti-malarial pills it was just the fact that i had eaten eel a couple of nights before i was now suffering with diarrhea so my anti-malarial wasn't giving me the strong dose to fight the malaria and it eventually got me with mission uh, with the mongolia it was like the the water with the well was dry i knew that 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 could happen so all of this is the mental preparation I'm like, okay, what if there's a well? What will I do? And I'm just trying myself to to visualize what that will feel like and what I will do in that scenario. So each scenario that has ever caught me out where I've almost died, it's not come as a shock. It's come as something that I almost knew could happen, hoping that it doesn't happen. But if it does happen, how do I deal with it? So yes and no would probably be the answer. Is a lot of people see see the planning and see these journeys and think this is reckless or this is dangerous daredevilish but when i'm doing it i i feel i go out there and if there's any element of doubt in myself i won't do it there's something wrong i've not planned it i've not given myself long enough time if i'm doubting or if i'm fearing something so much that i'm doubting that process just hold back spend another couple of weeks planning make sure you're fully ready even if you don't know what the obstacle or challenge is if there's that doubt inside me i just know just you know don't don't yeah listen to your gut take a step back i'll only go for it if i'm 100% confident with that i can deal with it and if it catches me out i visualize what it's like so now yeah get on with it get on with it keep getting up keep pushing on what is to come? Have you already got in mind what the next world record attempt is going to be, or are, we, are you tight-lipped on that one? Uh, no, we've thought of we've we've got. When I say we, it's me and the production team now, uh, uh, me and the team in general. We've got about eight to ten different ideas. Wow. What we want, we want to make it a lot shorter because 352 days is a long time. But if we can make it shorter, just as ambitious, just as extreme, even more so interactive, you know, making it interactive digitally, but also people joining um more angles to it conservation angles i love that sits close with my heart so i must pursue that angle even more so this is what and we want to get it televised that's what we're looking at is to get out on tv so it's about thinking smarter now not just doing it for the adventure's sake but and mission yangtze will be out on on tv as well we've secured commissions we're working on the second book which is the sequel to to mission possible and that's not tom cruise by the way yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, Re- that's Ash. Remove Dykes. the I and the M. Yeah. <laughs> what would be what would be like the dream scenario? Like, scrap all the logistics. Yeah. Film crews, everything. If I said to you right now, here's the money. You can go to any country in the world and attempt anything. What would it be? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, there's still a lot of places to discover and to explore out in China. And it was really, there was really big hype out in China. So I, I know for full well that I will be doing something more in China. I don't know if that's going to be next, though. Something about Africa, the Congo in particular, excites me. South America, I've never, I've never been to. So that seems like a fascinating place. But um, if you're not following on social media, we will open up the next expeditions where you can join lifetime. We'll do ones closer to home as well. What socials and kind of how can people connect with you? Yeah, so the Instagram is probably the most interactive. That's like always full of stories. So the Instagram is just Ash underscore Dykes. You've got the Facebook, the YouTube, the Twitter, etc. And the website where you can find everything, which is just ashdykes.com. And what I really want people to believe, if somebody who's listening to this podcast right now mm. is in rush hour or stuck in traffic, what advice would you give to them with what you've achieved now that can inspire them to start their own adventure? 
I would say, yeah, and when we say adventure, it could be adventure in anything, couldn't it, career? I would say what I've learned and what I continue to do is to hold your vision, you know, protect, protect your vision, nurture it. Don't let anyone put you off. There's a lot of outside noise. Listen to them, but don't let it seep in too much. Nurture it and go after it regardless. Um, because with Mongolia, with Madagascar, even with China, if I'd listened to those people, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. They would have put me off. So I'd say protect your dream and understand it doesn't matter if no one else sees it for you. What's important is if you can see it for yourself and keep at it. Oh, mate, what a way to end this. We all have you know, the capabilities of yeah. creating these adventures. You just yeah. got to believe in it. So like, not just for the listener, but for myself as well, like, thank you so, so much no, for giving us you. your time. And, and, and honestly, what an exciting number of years you've got coming up, brother. <laughs> You're a legend. Thank no, you, appreciate mate. appreciate that, man. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Limitless. This podcast is something I'm so passionate about and would love it if you would let me know your thoughts and opinions by leaving a rating and a review in the comment section. It really helps me to spread the word. If you think this story might resonate with someone you know, then please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes every Thursday where I'll be talking to more inspirational guests who have seen past their limits. Until next time.